Welcome to the podcast for the Unitarian Universalist Society of Geneva. UUSG is an inclusive community, one that draws wisdom from all the world's religions, balanced with the insights of modern science. We seek to build a diverse, beloved community within our virtual walls and hope to inspire and accompany one another as we act for peace and justice in our larger world. Each year when Thanksgiving rolls around, I think of my own mother, partly out of gratitude, but often with a story that she often told to her grandchildren. You see, she grew up in Kenosha, Wisconsin, in an immigrant community, mostly people from Southern and Eastern Europe, and in the height of the Great Depression. She would tell my girls that when she and her girlfriends had a nickel among them, they'd go to the corner store to buy one ice cream to share. What flavors do you have? They'd ask the storekeeper. And he would rattle back what sounded like a long list, but in an accent or language that none of them could decipher. Always ending, however, by saying, plus, I have strawberry, chocolate, and vanilla. So the girls would settle for one of those half wondering what else he might have back there and half suspecting that that's all he ever had in the first place. Well, it occurs to me that for a long time, religion in America was kind of like that. I recall being at a large interfaith event in Washington some years ago with other religious leaders when a woman came up with a clipboard to check people in and asked me, Protestant, Catholic, Jewish, or otherwise? And I responded, oh, seat me with the otherwise. They sound like the best company. Struck by how the word could be both apt and somewhat ironic. To understand religion in our world, says my friend Bill Vendley, requires a high IQ these days, which has nothing to do with your intelligence. It stands for your irony quotient. Bill would know. For years, he carried the heavy title Secretary General of the World Conference on Religion and Peace, a group that we Unitarian Universalists helped to found. He once asked me if I knew or could guess who'd written these words. Liberals have been correct throughout history on issues of social justice, while we have been neglectful or derelict in applying the principles of our faith to establishing justice in a fallen world. Words of Ralph Reed, the hyper-conservative religious conservative who heads the so-called Christian coalition. What's irony, daddy? My daughter once asked me, Irony, sweetheart? Well, mm, it's when what you expected turns out to be otherwise, with you somehow wiser too. It's when people you don't really like turn out to have some wisdom after all. It's when somebody you considered other teaches you something about yourself. Like in history, when it takes an adamant anti-communist like Richard Nixon to be the president who opens up relations with communist China, or when Republicans nominate someone who hates many of the things they've long uh, supported 
Now that's irony. It's when left and right, good and bad, weak and strong turn out to be deeper and more complex than you thought they were. For me, it took actually going with my friend Bill Venley to China some 25 years ago now to realize how with all the religious freedom and pluralism that we enjoy here in America, our mission as religious liberals, your mission and mine, might be summarized pretty simply. It is to be truly otherwise in every sense of that term. The generation before Bill and I visited during its cultural revolution, you know, China tried to end all religion, nearly did. They shut every shrine, temple, mosque, church, monastery, and seminary for almost 20 years. Only 15% of China's people were left with any sense of religious identity at all. And every religious leader that Bill and I met with, whether Buddhist, Protestant, Catholic, Muslim, or Taoist, seemed to be either over 80 or barely 30. In between, everyone had been killed. China was booming in the 1990s, still is, with investment like religion being very controlled, top-down, but growing even faster than the economy was the crime rate and corruption and the gap between the haves and have-nots. I concluded that the only thing left of communism in China was materialism, the moral and spiritual vacuum left by trying to end traditional religion was so huge that that year the Communist Party put out a new motto and asked religious survivors to help them push it. Renounce scientific materialism. Embrace spiritual materialism, a material civilization, a spiritual civilization. Now, how's that for irony? Their top official in charge of religion even gave us a banquet at the Great Hall of the People in Beijing. And I presented some small symbolic gifts, little pewter cups, and a wooden case for holding pens, both purchased at the gift shop at Monticello, based on designs by Thomas Jefferson, so that I could talk about him as a Unitarian and the author of the world's first statue on religious freedom. Bill talked about religion's true role in every culture of trying to preserve its deepest memories and its greatest wisdom, to make for compassion and self-transcendence, and how it is so often misused to set group against group. The communist official ironically replied, you are quite right. Grave misunderstandings of religion took place here. Deep apologies are needed. And yet, of course, they still try to control religion tightly, top down. Bill and I had gone there on our way to a Congress of the International Association for Religious Freedom being held in South Korea. And while there, I kept thinking how easily you and I can take for granted 
the spiritual freedom that we enjoy, with the result, ironically, that we don't realize how powerful we could be if only we would use that freedom more wisely in, and invest it in, well, being otherwise, in being truly wise toward others amid all of the growing religious and cultural diversity around us. Because, you know, in my lifetime, America has experienced its own cultural revolution. We've become the most religiously diverse country on the planet. There aren't just three or four flavors of religion any longer. There are more, now more Muslims in the United States than there are Jews and almost as many Hindus. Protestant hegemony is gone. Even the evangelicals who grew for a while are now in steep decline. And far more Catholics stay away from mass than attend any longer. And there are probably more Buddhists just here in the Bay Area, where I live, than there are UUs all across the country, which should probably keep us a little bit humble, even as we reach out more actively than we do for the many who are eager for a community of truth tellers and wisdom seekers that embraces diversity as a true gift. When I first became a UU as a young adult, I, I thought we came in only three flavors as well. They were called humanist, theist, and liberal Christian. But in my long years of serving in this faith tradition, I have seen us deepening our own and one another's lives by drawing on wisdom from many sources, Jewish, Buddhist, Muslim, Hindu, Native American, and the most ancient forms of natural religion. Surveys of religious identity suggest that there are maybe three quarters of a million people in America who identify with Unitarian Universalism, but if we have only about a fifth of that number in our 1,000 congregations, that just tells me that we need more congregations and stronger ones, more committed to outreach and to truly being otherwise, welcoming the millions who are yearning for something spiritually deeper than consumerism and conventional conformity and wiser than the fear mongering that all too often these days imitates faith without actually demonstrating it. For our way in religion, with its deep commitment to democracy and the rights of conscience, has and could have even more catalytic power in our pluralistic society if we would reach further beyond our own circles. Witnessing an interfaith dialogue, for example, to the possibility of putting aside differences in ritual or doctrine in favor of practical spiritually centered religious cooperation with a civic circumference. Because the memory that we try to preserve is of forebearers who were wise enough to put aside the old creedal question, what do we all believe in common, for the more profound question of covenantal relationship. Oh, I love the covenant you use in Geneva that goes back to 1842. Because it asks, how shall we treat and help one another here? What hopes do we share that we might realize together? What promises shall we make and try to keep 
to build authentic pluralistic community that is truly otherwise, deepening one another's lives in the finite time that is ours. In Jane Kenyon's poem, you know, wisdom comes from seeing what we too easily take for granted and then remembering in dealing with one another that what we most truly share is our mortality. For one day it will be otherwise. Jane wrote that poem when her husband Donald Hall was diagnosed with cancer. And then within a year, ironically, it was she who had died of leukemia. While Donald lived on to make it the title poem of his wife's collected works. Morally, our human lives are mortared together by our shared mortality. The words human and humane come from the same root as humus, the good earth, which bears us all and to which we all return in time, which we're asked to walk together in the time that is ours in humility, remembering as Jefferson put it, that it's in our lives and not from our words that our religion is truly read. Read from how wisely and fully we use the finite freedom that is ours. Take my mother again. For years, she did not get out of bed on two strong legs. She had multiple sclerosis. And as she started to use a wheelchair, I watched her try to stay engaged with others, even if only over the phone. She served as coordinator for common cause in her state of Rhode Island. She, she checked up on other elders. She raised money one year for a young woman who was the director of religious education at a UU fellowship who'd been in an auto accident and had no health insurance. Not long after that, ironically, she and my dad were in an auto accident themselves. He just cracked a few ribs, but mother lost the very last of her ability to stand at the sink and even do the dishes. She spent months in a nursing home in rehab. And with her chronic irreversible illness, she understandably became quite depressed. Saying like Frankel's companions, I have nothing to expect from life anymore or I'm such a useless burden now. My sister-in-law, my brother's wife, is quite active in her synagogue. And at the high holidays that fall, her rabbi had told a story that she shared with me at Thanksgiving as I talked about Frankel and finite freedom. And that afternoon, that Thanksgiving afternoon, I took it to my mother, visiting her in the nursing home, telling her that I was not only grateful for her, but she still had work to do. The work of still being for me and my brothers and our wives and our children, to dad and our, to for friends and neighbors, and even to the nurses and others in that home who were trying to help her what I had always admired her for being. 
an example of someone who would use her finite freedom well with the best within her. Responding to the otherness that life often seems to be with ironic wisdom and by being otherwise, which then led me to the story my sister-in-law had told with which I'll close today. A light rain was falling on Munich in 1930s Germany. And a young woman was riding home on the bus from work when the traffic stopped. Most passengers were just a bit annoyed, but she could see from her position in the back of the bus into a side street where soldiers were loading people into trucks. And she started to shake and cry. SS men boarded the bus at the front and starting to check people's papers. And as she trembled in the back with tears in her eyes, the man next to her whispered kindly, whatever is the matter, this is routine. I don't have the papers that you have, she answered. I'm a Jew, they will take me. The man then paused for a moment and stepped away from her. He looked her straight in the eye and then to her horror, began to scream at her and curse. Damn you, stupid woman, I can't stand to be near you. Hey, what's going on back there? The SS man shouted. Oh, hell, the man replied. My wife here has forgotten her papers again. She always does this. I'm completely fed up. The SS man laughed and moved on. The woman never saw that man again. She never even knew his name or what it was in that moment that had prompted him to be so and act so otherwise. You see, my friends, Victor Franco was right. At every moment of every hour of every day, we are questioned by life. One day it will be otherwise. We may never fully grasp or understand the otherness that poses life's questions to us, but that may not matter. What does matter is that while we have breath, we respond with the very best that is in us. Grateful for the unmerited beauty of being itself and with the capacity to sustain love with other wisdom. Saying no in the face of death and threats of dehumanization and yes to all that serves and enhances life. So that in the end, our final words maybe words of deep thanksgiving. As today, I give thanks for my parents who've gone before me. And so that others may be thankful for us in our time and strengthened by how we have lived wisely, fully,
and well for others. So may it be. Amen. Thank you for listening. You are always welcome to join the Unitarian Universalist Society of Geneva every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time. Come as you are. We look forward to meeting you. Visit us at uusg.org for more information about us, our worship services, and where you can find us on social media. Hope to see you soon.